What's up, guys? It is Wednesday, July 8th, as I record this. This might not actually go up Wednesday night. It might go up on Thursday or Friday. But uh, I just wrapped up uh, a, a nice, long, passionate interview uh, with Joe Jorgensen's vice presidential candidate, Spike Cohen. Spike Cohen, uh, depending on who you are, if you know him, uh, has been a uh, quote-unquote uh interesting figure within libertarian politics because Spike Cohen was running with uh, Vermin Supreme originally and Vermin Supreme everybody knows Vermin Supreme as this you know satirist this this guy waltzing around making fun of the system uh, but he was a legitimate libertarian candidate for for president this past cycle and Spike Cohen was running as his VP originally but a lot of people were, were wondering, is Spike Cohen even, you know, why, why why would they choose Spike Cohen? And a lot of people judge Spike Cohen, uh, in my eyes, unfairly, uh, because you really need to stop and listen to the guy. That's Spike Cohen is a great communicator of libertarian ideology, uh, and the interview that I had with him, it was well, well around 40, 45 minutes or so. Uh, just an eye-opening, you know, experience to talk to him. He's down to earth. He knows what the problems are. He wants to connect with voters out there, especially the ones that feel disenfranchised, especially the ones that feel scared and hopeless. And one of the problems I think we libertarians have is is, is reaching out, reaching our hands out to those people and giving them hope, letting them know that you know there is hope out there, but it's against the system. The system is not going to give you that hope. So that's the conversation that's coming up with Spike Cohen. I hope you guys enjoy this, and uh, there's going to be, uh, he's going to give you some links to check out not only Joe Jorgensen, but himself, their campaign, and how to help them smash this two-party system and this duopoly. Remember, as we're talking about this, we're not talking about just uh, one or two big key changes or anything. We're talking about a whole systemic change. Which is what people are calling for, right? People are out in the pro, people are out in the streets protesting for these things. They're they're protesting for change, but is it really going to come from the government that caused the problems? That's the million dollar question. So get ready, tighten your seatbelts, because here comes my guest, Spike Cohen. Spike, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, man? Doing pretty good, man. Um. We got this uh, interview set up. I actually talked with Joe Jorgensen uh, about two weeks ago. And Isn't I got she you great? Scheduled. Isn't she amazing? She is. Uh, she is absolutely amazing. And uh, one of the things that I've been telling people, uh, one of the ways that she's so nice, we we ran, we started late uh, two weeks ago, and I was originally only booked to have her for about fifteen or twenty minutes. She ran about ten minutes late and said, "Oh no, you got an hour with me." So, you know, <laughs> I, like her. Yeah. yeah, I had to, you know, it, it was, uh, it was an amazing interview for me, amazing opportunity, uh, to, to speak with her and she, she really is great. And people have been reaching out to me ever since, uh, ever since I uploaded that about two weeks ago and, uh, have just been loving it and been sharing it around. And I, I think it's, I think it's great for her. And I think people are really starting to, to see her as a candidate and really starting to take a look at her at the, the more that we move along closer to the election, which I think yep. is important. Yeah, no, it's perfect. It's, it's the perfect, it's exactly what we expected. You know, people were going to realize early on that they had two terrible choices in Joe Biden and Donald Trump and start thinking there has to be something else. There has to be some other option. Even if they've never even looked into third parties before, they were going to say, 
there, there's no way that, you know, out of 330 million people in this country, we can only have two options and they both just happen to be terrible and largely the same. There's there's no way there can't be anything else. And they're seeing Joe Jorgensen. They're seeing that she, uh, you know, that not only is she a better option, but she's the best option that she is, uh, you know, even even against much better candidates, she'd still be the best option. And, and especially among among these two, she's it's a no brainer. So this is what we were expecting. And it's kind of going according to plan. That, that's good. And that's actually I wanted to I wanted to build off of that right there, because uh, for a lot of people, third party is is new territory for them. This is when when people dive into thinking about, you know, I'm not going to vote for a Democrat or a Republican, especially for some reason, especially on a national scale uh, for for a position like the presidency. A lot of people get very apprehensive thinking outside of the box of of the two main parties uh, it, for you. Have you always been like a third party kind of guy on the outskirts? Did did you journey into, you know, kind of being an independent outside of that bubble? How how was that experience for Spike Cohen? Oh, I, I actually used to be a neocon Republican. So, you know, my my and I've always sort of been, I guess, uh, I was never a huge fan of government. But I, I did think that, for example, you know, after 9-11, I bought into the whole thing. I bought into the media government lie that, you know, we were attacked because they hated our freedoms and that we needed to spread, you know, democracy and freedom using our military, uh, you know, around the world to the places that just hadn't been liberated yet by the U.S. I mean, that, that was I truly was one of those people. And it's kind of embarrassing now to say it, but it's true. And, and I need to say it because. Uh, one of my biggest things now is to help draw people out of that idea because I was complicit in encouraging, you know, really bad acts, uh, not just against people overseas, but against the troops that we send to do that and then bring back who, you know, uh, either in a, in a coffin draped in a flag or with, you know, coming back with PTSD or traumatic brain injuries or, you know, chronic pain or, or anything else. And, you know, that was I had my small part in trying to encourage that. Now, part of my, you know, I guess penance, for lack of a better word, is to try to pull people out of that so that we can we can stop that one day. But no, I, I fully bought into that. And, you know, I totally believe that, you know, we that we were doing the right thing over there and that, you know, we needed to invade Iraq and, Af and, and we needed to stay in Afghanistan as long as it took to bring them into the Western world and all that nonsense. And there was this annoying guy named Ron Paul who just kept saying this stuff that I hated, made me so angry that... 9/11 was blowback for U.S. military actions in the in the Middle East, and uh, you know that that we had actually helped the, the U.S. military had actually uh, at least partially created Al Qaeda or created the the beginning of what became Al Qaeda, and that you know that it was just never going to end. That there was going to be this constant cycle of war and debt spending and further infringements on our rights here uh, for security theater to make us, you know, pretend that we're safe, even though we're really just having our rights infringed upon by government, and, you know, that we lose our due process and, you know, trillions of dollars would get spent and, you know, all the, all the things he's been saying for decades now. And I hated him. I couldn't stand him. I couldn't believe he was saying these things. And every year I'd watch as everything he said was going to happen pretty much happened. And eventually I realized something. That guy was right. And uh, it really made me start questioning myself. So going into around 2006, give or take, I uh, I really started looking into it more and more and realizing that, yeah, no, it's that's that's not th th what they're saying is wrong. And so for a while, I was more of kind of, I guess, a liberty leaning Republican constitutionalist paleocon type. Uh, but I did eventually work my way into, you know, the Libertarian Party and, and, and more importantly, into the libertarian ethos and philosophy uh, over time from kind of going from 2006 and over the next few years evolving 
uh, for lack of a better word, into the into the the libertarian that I am now, and and the belief that we're not going to be able to change either of the parties from the inside. We're not going to be able to do that. These parties are basically two the same two wings of the same bird, and they are designed to create the illusion of choice. Uh, to make us feel like we have choices when the reality is no matter which Republican we vote for, we we get the same things. We get the same harmful and inequitable and abusive outcomes that we would come to expect from a two-party system built around an ever-growing, uh, ever-expanding government. That's, that sounds like quite a journey uh, uh, through there. And I find that uh, – I find a lot of people, a lot of us who are, are in the libertarian camp kind of started in that little neocon phase. A lot uh, of us, yeah. A lot yeah, of us did, yeah. Especially, uh, especially people around my age in their 30s or so because yep. we grew up – we were kids when that happened. And, and, yep. You know, and and now it's it's like we've woken up. We're seeing things, you know, for the first time. It, it's It's hard to take that step for people to really think back on, you know – I hate to say it in that sense that, you know, everything that I believed was a lie, but, you know, it kind of was. We were lied to. We were lied to. We were scared. I I remember when 9-11 happened, I was scared. Is it going to happen tomorrow? Is is this the the new normal? We're going to get hit every single day. What's going to happen? You know, the the, the number of deaths just kept going up and up and up. And and it was like, you know, is is this going to happen? Like, is this is this what things are going to be like? And the media filled our fears. They they filled them up. Well, here's why it happened. Osama bin Laden hates us. He wants to spread radical Islam around the world, and he'll stop at nothing to do it. And you know, we're being shown that our our military's gearing up to go and punish the people that did this, and you kind of fall into it because it's comforting that. The good guys are going to stop the bad guys. But what we're not told is there are no good guys or there were no good guys in this. We're sending good people over to fight, but the people in charge, there are no good actors on either side. It's all just a cynical chess game and we're the pawns in it. And uh, it's a tough realization that that's the fact. But it's a it's much less comforting than the lie. But when the lie isn't true, then whatever false comfort you have is giving way to the the harsh reality of what it is, whether you like it or not. So it's better to know what the truth is. Absolutely, and and I think that plays into what you're saying about the parties too. At, at this point, I don't. For me, I, I don't understand how anybody thinks the parties are serving their interest at all. Just because you can watch, uh, you can watch 2016, and you can watch now. With the Democrat Party uh, in 2016, it, it was a game that was against Bernie. He got some changes in play, but overall, he still remained a very, very small cog in, you know, a big operation that, you know, they didn't need to really honor anything for him. That that should be evident with this year because he was just kind of a write-off. They were like, yeah, he's on the stage, but he's not a big deal. Everybody kind of curved towards Joe Biden anyway, and I, I, some people blame coronavirus on that. I, from the get-go, I didn't see it changing from coronavirus. Joe uh, Biden, Joe Biden won South Carolina before coronavirus. That that was always baked into the cake that that Bernie would do well. They didn't think he'd do that well in Iowa. They knew he'd do well in New Hampshire and in and in Nevada. And then after that, they're like, and it's over. After that, Joe Biden will will do exactly what he did. And 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 what did uh, what did uh, Bernie do? Same thing he did before. He folded when it was time for him to fold. After he got to give his his oppositional speeches and oppositional talk. He folded. It's this. He's the Rand Paul or or Thomas Massey or whomever else on the uh, for for the Democrats. They allow a certain level of of uh, controlled opposition. So people that can come out and say the truth that we know to be true, 
but then they have to fold. When it's time for them to fold, if they are required to fold, they have to fold because they're a part of the party. And Rand Paul's a perfect example of that on the Republican side. And it's the same It's the same thing. Bernie Sanders didn't say, this is unacceptable. Everything I said about Joe Biden is still true. We can't vote for Joe Biden because he can't because he's part of the he's part of that controlled opposition. All of the choices that you're given have to be within the Republican family. They have to be a Democrat or a Republican. They can be a, a Liberty Republican, or they can be a a, a, a new Democrat or a, a, a social justice Democrat. We have the AOC and 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 um, and uh, uh, I forget her first name, uh, but her last name's Presley and um, Ilhan Omar. All the, the the squad, when they're required to vote a certain way, they they vote a certain way because they're Democrats. The system is designed by the Republicans to give you the illusion that there is this battle happening so that we can stay nice and divided against each other that, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're voting Republican, you must be a Nazi. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you're voting uh, Democrat, you must be a communist. But the reality is all those people that created that narrative, they work together every single day. When it came time for them to give trillions of dollars of bailouts to big businesses and give us 1200 bucks and tell us to stay home forever, they did it. From the state, from the local and state level, all the way up to the White House, the Republicans and Democrats, uh, in their uh, nearly exclusive control of every lever of power and government, from federal all the way down to local, for the last 160 plus years, when it comes time, when the rubber hits the road, they always, they always come together to do what they always do, which is impose their will against us and uh, and to benefit the billionaire cronies that bought and paid for them to the direct detriment of the rest of us. As, uh, the way I put it to my friend, he had me on a show uh, about a week or so ago. I, you know, I said it's it's pro wrestling. It's literally, yes. it's literally, it's a show for the media. It's a show for the TV uh, because they'll show that they hate each other on Twitter, on social media, you know, what have you. They'll say yep. all these things, but then you'll go out and you'll catch them at the bar having a drink with each other. Yep, yep, yep. You know, um, that being said, I mean, like, you kind of covered your journey breaking out of of what you thought was the way, you know, you thought you were, you were square. You thought the Republican way was the way you thought waging a war against terrorism was the way. <laughs> Obviously when you go into a scale of, of national politics and, and talking about the, the parties and how to get things done at home, we have this bigger, it seems like a bigger, badder monster to try to shatter out of people's minds that we can go outside of this, that we can work outside of, of, of a two party system, but that, it's obviously not going to be easy. Uh, how do we – do you guys have – do you have a strategy when you're talking to people, how to tap into their mind to make them look outside of, you know, oh, I'm a lifelong Democrat and the Republicans are bad or I'm a lifelong Republican the Democrats are bad? Like how do you, how do you start to pick somebody's brain and, and really try to divide those, those lines of thinking from their brain to make them see a different perspective? And that's the that's what actually got me the nomination was demonstrating to uh, our delegates and our voters how I've done that and how they can do it as well and how we as from the grassroots all the way up to the top of the ticket to you know me and Joe doing it uh, on the national stage how we do that we do that by first and this is true I, I learned this in over twenty years of uh, owning and operating. Uh, and, and growing successful businesses. So this is both leadership and communication skills. The way that you reach someone who has a different opinion than you or you're trying to bring them over to your side on your opinion, you have to meet them where they are, in their spaces, but more importantly, from their precepts. So my friend Scott Horton likes to say that uh, we're better than the left on the things the left cares about. We're better than the right 
on the things the right cares about. And for that matter, we're better than the centrists and the moderates on the things they care about. Most, the vast majority of people who are not sociopaths have legitimate concerns and cares. When you when you boil down what they're worried about, they're all legitimate things that they're worried about. So we meet them where they are. We agree with them that the things they're worried about are legitimate concerns. We listen to them first so that A, we're uh, identifying what their concerns and problems are. And this is something everyone can do in your day-to-day -day conversations, talking with people on social media, whatever else. Uh, you identify people's concerns, but also while you're identifying their concerns, what they're seeing is you're demonstrated that you're listening, you care about them, you're empathetic, and you're a trustworthy character. Once those things have happened, then you can empathize with them. You can say, listen, you are absolutely correct. These things are, are messed up and you know they're, they're terrible. And you, know, you can say the Republicans and Democrats have imposed this upon us. And if you have some knowledge on the subject, you can tell them exactly how it's happened, how they have done these things and created the problems that they're now worried about, uh, whether it's healthcare, education, uh, student loan debt, uh, uh, the economy, immigration, whatever else. And then from there, you can take them on the journey for how common sense libertarian solutions would fix these problems that were created by the Democrats and the Republicans. So it's not about saying, well, yeah, you're a Democrat and you think government should be bigger, but yet you think, you know, police brutality is bad, but ha ha, that's because of bigger government. What do you have to say to that? That's not how it works. You get them where you, where, you know, you say, I, I agree with you that uh, police brutality is a problem. Police aren't being held accountable because of qualified immunity and because of civil asset forfeiture and because of all, you know, all the different things that the Republicans and Democrats have put in place. And we're never going to get rid of that until we get people in office who will change those things. Here's what libertarians propose to do. And you can do that on any subject. So you're disabusing them of the left-right rope-a-dope. You're putting the entirety of the Republican system into one corner, which is the corner of people who are keeping a boot on the neck of the people and allowing for needless suffering and harm for no other reason than to preserve their own wealth and power and influence. Influence, and we're putting ourselves on the other side of that line, uh, the people that are trying to remove that boot from their neck and show them a way that, that we can have the power put back in our hands where it always belonged and that we can thrive together. That's how you reach people. I agreed. And and when you bring up the, the boot on the neck image, it's, it's funny, you know, your line of thinking, I've been hearing this more and more when libertarians talk, and I think it's important that libertarians go this route. Uh, because all too often on Twitter, you'll just, you know, you'll see it boiled down to hashtags. Oh, taxation is theft. <laughs> and, you know, the government just steals stuff and right. they're really bad at doing crap. You know, you get you get that a lot. You get that narrative a lot. But it doesn't resonate with people. I mean, it you doesn't. Know, you, you say taxation is theft and they're like, well, you get you get the same blanket answers. You know, we live in a society where, you know, th this is what we have to do to care for people and all that. And and we're and we're so sick of those responses that then we mock them. Yeah. Which really helps pull people to your side. The best way you can pull people to your side is give hackneyed, uh, 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 flippant responses that don't connect with them at all. Things that we like to say to each other, like taxation and stuff. And meanwhile, I will say, after going into a longer conversation, I will then say, and taxation is a form of theft, a regressive form of theft that is imposed upon net consumers, which means the poorest are paying the high. So I'm saying taxation is theft. I don't lead with that. I don't walk into a conversation about taxes where Pete, where one side is saying we need taxes to protect us from terrorism and and to you know protect our borders, and the other side saying we need taxes to fund healthcare and and you know free education. And I go in and go, well, I don't know if you knew this, but taxation is theft. And when they go, well, but how would you have a society without taxes? I go, oh, morodes. I mean, that's not you can't reach people that way. You're going to make them actively hate you. At best, they will ignore you. And at worst, they will now be an actual like opponent of yours. And now the only exposure they've had to libertarianism is, is this sort of snarky. I don't really care about you. I just wanted to say that taxation is theft. 
and they're and now they're asking questions like, well, but how would society run? What a perfect opportunity to explain how society would run and not be flipping about it. Um, and so that's really what I have. Uh, what I have tried, what I've done and what I've tried to encourage others to do. Part of this campaign, there's many aspects to what we're doing. One is obviously trying to win the election, trying to get Joe on that debate stage, because if she can get on that debate stage, it's all over. We're going to win that election. It'll be so obvious uh, who the who the real winner is there. Um, but then also, uh, we're trying to spread the message of liberty. We're trying to change the political and cultural conversation more towards you know the idea that government isn't doing good things. But we can't do that unless we connect the people where they are. And so we're reshaping how libertarian messaging happens in, in the, the greater group of liberty circles. We're reshaping it in an image of empathy and being engaging and dynamic in the way that we present our ideas and in kind of a populist, because it really is. This is a small uh, relative handful of wealthy elites who are imposing their system on the rest of us. We have the populist message. And if we leaned into it and said, you know, we're trying to give power back to the people so that we can be free, free to thrive and voluntarily work with each other, what a powerful message. So we just, we just, and it's not watering down our message, it's just the opposite. It's disabusing people of all the, the ridiculous stereotypes about us and instead showing them that this is the way forward. This is the way out of the problems that we're facing, whether you're upset about the lockdowns or the pandemic or police brutality or systemic racism or the economy or you know the endless wars or the ridiculous cost of living increases or healthcare or education or anything else they created the problem the republicrats and their their well-heeled cronies created this problem with the express purpose of retaining their market share and their power and influence at the direct expense of literally everyone else all the, the rest of us and us and our common sense libertarian solutions are the way out of that that's uh, do you think that's been a problem with libertarian messaging prior to now? Just just this, you know, th this approach of I'm going to dunk on people, <laughs> you know, libertarians. And I'm, I, I was one of them, which mm -hmm. is weird because I, I spent so much time in business uh, uh, using the kind of methods I'm talking about to, you know, get business from people and to, you know, network and to grow my company and all of that. But then when it would come to politics. I, I fell into this trap that we often do. L many libertarians are convinced that if we could craft the perfect argument, the perfect libertarian argument that had no holes in it, had no, no one could challenge it. And then we present these arguments to the public and we go, there, there's our argument. And we expect people to look at it and go, that argument is so logical. I can't even begin to see uh, a way out of this. Facts clearly don't care about my feelings. I am definitely a libertarian now. That's what we expect. And magic. what happens instead? Yeah, it's yeah, it's just perfect. It just happens. And so what we expect, we expect this magical thing. Instead, what happens is we present this very well-crafted argument, and someone looks at it and goes, yeah, but what about my kid's education? And we go, what do you mean, what about your kid's education? This is, you own yourself, and if you aggress upon others, you, we're not connecting with people. Everyone uh, uh, processes information with a combination of intuition, intellect, and emotion. And we all process things differently. And not just individual to individual, but from subject to subject, day to day, it's a very fluid thing how we process things. Libertarians tend to be heavier on the emotion, which 
most libertarians would not admit to, but on the emotion and the intellect, not so much on the intuition. And I'm speaking very, very generally. I'm not saying all libertarians are this way. I'm saying generally speaking, libertarians tend to lean heavily more on intellect and emotion, which means that when we go in and we present this incredibly intellectual argument and we aren't picking up the social cues of the people saying, yeah, that didn't move me. Uh, I, I have legitimate concerns about my family and this doesn't address any of that. We get very upset. And then we emotionally respond with all of our snarkiness and everything else. And it, and it doesn't work. And there are many libertarians who are fantastic at it. But unfortunately, there are some that aren't. And because we don't have the media on our side, because we don't have you know uh, government boards of election on our side, because we don't have the system on our side, we can't afford to be jerks sometimes. We can't afford that. We have to be dynamic and engaging and empathetic. Uh, pretty much we have to be batting not necessarily a thousand, but we have to be batting a lot closer to a thousand than the statists do because they have everything on their side. They have the momentum on their side. They have the inertia behind them. They have the entirety of the, the, the corporate media behind them. They have everything behind them. They have all of the messaging behind them. We have to operate within their circles and from their precepts and bring them into our side because our way is right. But we have to connect with people first. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's like swallow the pride and realize that this isn't just a, this isn't just an easy, you know, let's just turn them over. It's going to, it's kind of like a walk towards. It, it's a walk. There. It's a walk and it's not a debate. Um, it, and we treat it like a debate. We're very good at debating. Um, but it's not a debate and most people don't want to argue. You'll hear, you'll see that all the time on Facebook. People will go, it's just my opinion. I don't want to argue about it. And then we'll argue with them. It's like, they just said they don't want to argue about it. And I, so, I forget who it was. I think it was one of my followers on my one of my shows said, uh, I don't know that I've ever won a debate and I don't know that I've never I've ever lost a conversation. And that really hit me because that's ultimately what we're doing. Let's have conversations with people, even if they walk away saying, you know what, I don't really agree with you. I think that you're uh, you know, I think you're wrong, but it sounds like you at least you know, come from a good place. You've planted a seed. They're now at least listen, willing to listen to what you have to say instead of dismissing you outright. And other people who are watching this, because anytime, especially online, that you're communicating with someone, there could be dozens or hundreds or even thousands of other people on some of these public posts uh, uh, that, you know, are, are watching this saying nothing. They're just lurking and watching this. And if they see you being reasonable and, 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 and being and operating in good faith and good cheer, that reflects well on everything you're saying and everything that you believe. Um, even if you don't get the person you're talking to, there are many more that you may never know that you get. There are many other uh, seeds that you may be planting that you'll never know of. Um, so you just have to operate within those circles. So that's how it works. You were uh, you were mentioning uh, your your media, Muddy Waters Media, correct? Yeah. So uh, three years ago, I decided to retire from my my company, from my web design company, and focus my life full time on spreading the message of liberty uh, to a public that often hadn't heard of it. Because uh, I knew if we were ever going to win at a electoral or political stage, we had to win the cultural stage first. Um, and so to that end, I became the host of My Fellow Americans and the co-host of the Muddy Waters of Freedom and the co-owner of Muddy Waters Media. And that's what we do. We, we, we use uh, an entertaining and engaging and dynamic way of reaching people really outside of libertarian circles. We have sort of a topical show that's uh, geared towards people who just want to have a fun laugh and have a good time. Uh, and then we hit them with libertarianism once they're in there. I got you. And that that kind of plays into because originally you were running with Vermin Supreme, mm -hmm. correct? Yep. Yep. As as a uh, as his VP nominee. Mm -hmm. um, so a, a lot of people know Vermin Supreme for for his years of, of work um, 
that spans far beyond when he uh, joined the Libertarian Party. Uh, for that, I mean, a lot of people. It, it, I guess it depends on your sense of humor, <laughs> depending on when you see him. Because some people are like, "Oh, this guy's he's just he's just being a wacky, you know, funny guy playing off of it." But uh, you know, and I kind of was this way a little bit into this election cycle uh, when I saw that he was a, a Libertarian candidate. I thought, "No way!" I thought. I thought I thought he just goes around and trolls stuff. And then I really like I listened to him in the debates and, you know, he took the boot off the head and all that. And he actually started presenting the ideas and all that. And I thought, has he been doing this this whole time? And I just kind of saw the gig and the gimmick and never looked deeper than that. I mean, have you guys I think you've taken that part of that strategy, at least anyway, and applied it to yourself. Uh, Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So part of the reason you didn't get the gimmick is he wasn't doing it for you. Right. He was doing it. He has figured out a way using this kind of nonlinear satirical form of messaging uh, to reach people who are so disgusted with politics. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hear from a politician. They're not going to watch a political podcast. They're not going to uh, listen to talk radio. They're not engaged in politics. If they're at a, a dinner table uh, on Thanksgiving and people start talking politics, they get up and walk away. They are disgusted with the whole thing. And if you listen to the reasons why they don't vote, they're, they're that 40 to some 40 something percent of Americans who didn't vote in 2016, uh, which is kind of the average between 40 and 50 percent who don't vote. And if you listen to the reasons why they don't participate, it's because they think government's out to get them. They think the whole system's rigged and it's a joke and that, you know, pol- it doesn't matter which politician you vote for. They're all going to do the same thing. They're all liars. You can't trust anything they say. This is what we say. This is libertarian stuff that they're saying. And if we could reach them, they could find out that, you know, the libertarian party agrees with them and we're trying to change that. And they could join and become libertarian. But they don't want to hear from anyone. If I show up and I go, hi, I'm Spike Cohen and I'd like to talk with you about radical self-ownership. And they've already turned me out to me out. I'm a politician. They don't want to hear from me. Right. So but someone like Vermin, who is, you know, being funny and being satirical and being outrageous and, 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 you know, has to catch your attention. You can't not pay attention when he's doing something. A lot of people look at that. Some people look at it and go, what was that? Some people look at it and go, oh, that's hilarious. I totally get it. He's making fun of the whole thing. And they tune in and they don't feel pandered to and they don't feel like they're being lied to and they don't feel like they're having their uh, beliefs challenged. So not only are they paying attention, their cognitive defenses go down. They actually listen to what he has to say. And over time, they think, wait a second, there's an, there, there is an underlying political message here. What is this about? Why is he doing this? And that's when he's able to hit him with libertarianism. So Joe and I are very grateful for everything uh, Vermin has done to bring so many people to the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian movement. And we're grateful for everything he's been doing uh, to help us with this campaign. Joe and I are running to set America free, not just from the uh, not just from the, the, the barriers and the burdens and the impositions imposed upon us by the Republicans and Democrats, but by the cynical joke of a system that they and their crony corporate media have created to give us this illusion of choice that an increasing number of Americans recognize is a terrible, cynical joke and the punchline is us, and it's not funny. And we want to change that and change it so that we are talking about serious things, about serious issues facing us, and we have serious common sense solutions to fix those problems. And so that is why we are running. We are running to topple the Republican duopoly and replace it with serious solutions to uh, give the power back to the people so that they can thrive in ways that seem almost unimaginable now. The, the thing that I find funny is... Uh... I, and I think you'd probably agree with this. Wouldn't you Wouldn't you say the most disenfranchised voter is the one that is so turned off by politics that they don't vote, that they don't want to talk about it? 
Very often, yes. I mean, there are some who are disenfranchised to a level of being second-class citizens, and so they often, many of them that that are at that point, they vote they vote Democrat because Democrats they speak to that part of the country. They speak to the marginalized, even though they're going to do the same thing that the Republicans do. Whereas the Republicans tend to speak to you know the moral majority and the silent majority and the the people who are kind of resentful of the marginalized. So they and they play their parts, right? The the Republicans and Democrats play their parts of who they have to bring into the overall Republican movement, which is what it's all about. Uh but no, there are definitely people who are so disgusted, disenfranchised, disillusioned, they don't bother voting. They have nothing to do with it. They're disgusted by it. Not to mention all the people that have been disenfranchised of the ability to vote uh because they have some kind of stupid felony on their record, which is another thing that that Joe Jorgensen, when she comes into office, she's gonna be expunging a lot of people's records for victimless crimes that they never should have done time or done probation or parole or anything else for and allow them to be able to vote. Because here keep in mind, so the average prisoner, the average person that has spent time in prison didn't actually victimize anyone. They went in there for some kind of crime that didn't actually have a victim, usually a drug crime or, or sometimes a gun crime. But not hurting someone with a gun, just owning a gun. Just um, possessing it. Yeah. Just possessing it uh, or, or possessing it while selling drugs. So literally they were keeping and bearing – they had they were exercising their right to keep and bear arms and engaging in victimless commerce. And so they have you know, uh, you know multiple charges and spent many years in jail and now can't ever vote again. I say that the people who have been the most victimized by government, which is often those people, uh, should have every say, uh, just like the rest of us, in how this government should look. I think if they did, our government would look a lot different than it does now. I think third parties would be a lot more attractive to people who lost everything and had their lives ruined and were treated as chattel slaves for free prison labor to to profit, you know, mega billion dollar corporations who contract their their free labor. Um, I think that they'd have a, a a pretty big say in who who should be vote who should be in charge right now. So. Th- those voters that that don't vote, I asked Joe this too. I said, is that like a primary target for you guys first, and then you kind of move secondary to to people teetering on the edges, or is it kind of like it's too grand to break down like that? Yeah, it's it, there's so many different parts of that who doesn't vote, but I guess if I had to say, I'm not sure we have a primary. I think the two biggest groups that I I'm that I'm targeting, and and we're also doing a thing where you know Joe and I we're a fusion ticket. We uh, appeal to we. I mean, there's certainly some overlap with us as well of who we appeal to. But you know, Joe does more of kind of a traditional presentation that appeals to people who are looking for a return to normalcy and a return to decency and in, in in government and and you know want a calming of the chaos that is existing right now, which is a very valid concern among many many voters. I'm you know because of my age and because of where the uh, the spaces I operate in and the internet and so forth. I'm reaching those who feel you know very left behind and some of them are ready to burn the whole system. Down and I'm saying, whoa, whoa, let's not burn things down, but let's completely and radically reform how things are done so that you're not being left behind. So we're kind of doing a dragnet, don't leave a single chip on the table type of, uh, you know, we're leaving it all out on the court the next four months basically. Uh, but I'd say the two biggest groups that I'm reaching out to are the ones who are completely disaffected, who do not have a home politically, uh, and uh, the mostly left leaning, but really across the spectrum, younger voters who intuitively understand that this system has left them completely behind. They are screwed. Like people, not just, I mean, I'm a millennial, I'm 38, I just turned 38. Um, but people that are in like their early 30s, late 20s, early 20s, it's like the younger they get, the more hopeless they get because they recognize like this system is gamed to completely screw them over. And they see it. They see the student loan debt, the fact that wages aren't rising, cost of living going through the roof, housing going through the roof, healthcare going through the roof. Uh, you know, they, they see that 
like this system was designed for people who benefited from it generations ago marginally and now they're paying the bill on it from all ends and it's uh, it's really bad so i'm reaching them as well uh, these are people that typically uh, they tend to vote for democrats because the democrats say yeah the system is leaving you behind and uh, we're going to tax the the wealthy and give you free stuff and that you know what that sounds like a compelling message to someone who has no real other hope uh, so that's where we have to come in and, and disabuse them of the reality that that's the people that who created this are now telling you they're going to fix it for you. They're not. And the, the, what they're proposing will make it worse. Here's how it will make it worse. And here's how libertarian ideas will make it better. So those are the groups I'm reaching. And, and with the idea that as we grow our share of the vote, others will begin to peel off because there are a ton of people who are, I call them hold your nose voters. They go in, they hold their nose, they go, ah, Trump, ah, Biden, because they, they think the other one is worse. Uh, and they think that voting third party is a waste of a vote. But if we get you know enough of the other people who don't care if we win or not, they're just voting for us because we're the only viable option to them. If we get enough of them, now we have a chance to win. And now a lot of those people will say, whoa, whoa, whoa now we have a chance. Now this third party has a chance and I like them a lot more than my other two options. And you will see a, a real dog pile happening on our side as a result of that. So, you know, we're reaching everyone, but I would say mostly disaffected and especially younger voters are kind of my 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 main targets. Okay. And then that, so with the younger voters, you kind of touched on it. It They have a very progressive vibe about them, about we're going to reverse everything that's in play right now and kind of like, you know, address these injustices. We're going to make things okay. Yep. So how do like, it's very easy I, to fall into that because for me, at least anyway, when I politically evolved, I started off as that George W. Bush, let's go get the terrorist Republican. Right, right, right. And then I voted for Obama in uh, 2008. You know, with the Hopi Changey stuff, I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah, Hopi Changey sounds good. And then by 2012, I was like, oh, you know what? This thing is rigged. <laughs> that's that's that was my awakening moment when I was like, ah, something's got to change. It doesn't matter I who just, you vote for. Yeah. I just yeah. did Hopi Changey and it was it, it was not what it was made out to be. Mm -hmm. um, so breaking people from that mold, I mean, like, you know, uh, on, a, on a progressive scale, it you're right. It does kind of sound comforting. Like, all right, well, we're, we're going to tax the billionaire people. They can afford it. They can afford it. They can afford to part ways with this. They're just being greedy and not giving you your fair share. And it's part of the divisive thing. I'm, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, 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 no. You're good. It's I, I'm sorry. It's part of the divisive thing. So you have the Democrats over here, uh, especially the, the more left wing Democrats saying to those people, the marginalized, the young, those who are being left behind and no rec recognize they're being left behind. They go, these people over here, these older people and these wealthy people, and these these you know privileged white people, they're taking from you, and they don't recognize you know that, that they don't care that you're being harmed, and so we're gonna tax them and give you the stuff you need because they've been getting everything they need at your expense, so we're gonna turn around and give you the stuff you need at their expense, and the people over here are going that sounds great, and then the Republicans go over on this side and go these lazy people over here they want to take all your stuff you worked hard for that you earned that. And now they just want to tax you and ruin the economy so that they can have free stuff. Those lazy people, look at them. They make me sick. And everyone over here is going, yeah, those lazy bums, get them out of my pocket. And so you've got this rope-a-dope going on. And what's happened is no one is stepping back or very few people. They're so caught up in, in fighting each other and hating each other. They aren't stepping back and saying, wait a second. The people who are, who are, are you know, teaming us against each other they work together to do all this stuff, everything that's happened. It's not because of those people over there or those people over there. It's them doing it. 
And so that's what we say. We come in and go, yeah, no, you're right. They both suck. They're both terrible. And they're both doing these terrible things. And 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 then we lay out what you know the, how their policies have created this, how their healthcare policies have led to massive increases in cost of healthcare and reductions in, in affordable access, how their wartime policy has led to an epidemic of of soldier and veteran suicides and addiction and homelessness, how you know their their so-called war on poverty has led to record high homelessness and record high poverty, how everything that they touch gets worse by design because they want to keep us desperate and dependent and scared and anxious and resentful of others around us and 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 just mad and angry because if we're mad and angry and we're we're more you know kind of emotionally driven and 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 always dealing with a combination of fear and anger then we're less likely to be able to kind of step back rationally and say wait a second they're doing all of this they're the puppet masters that are doing all of this so what we do is we just we we kind of quench that we kind of uh, help um uh, I guess, uh, extinguish that fear and that loathing by saying, yeah, your concerns are valid. We want to change all of this. We want the healing to begin. We say a lot in this campaign, we say now is the time to heal. And and that's not just a, pl- a pander. It's the time to heal from the damage that has happened. And here is how we propose doing that. And instead of falling into a, you know, Trump bad, Biden bad thing. We just say the whole system is rigged. All of them. They're just emblematic of the entire system. The entire system was designed to treat us this way to benefit a very small handful of very wealthy and powerful people. And we propose dismantling all of that. And obviously that that plays into what we're seeing going on right now with protests, statues being torn down, uh, like the narratives, it's kind of it's kind of crazy to me because we know they're in control. We know what they're doing, mm-hmm. but the influence now, at least to me, looks like it's being passed down to you know people on like Twitter. Twitter is like foot soldiers now almost. Like, well, yeah, I'm gonna carry a banner and I'm gonna carry out what Donald Trump's message is because we're the silent majority or whatever. You see literal fights in the streets between people with pitch uh, with the uh, uh, tiki torches talking about, you know, you will not replace us. And we're we're voting for Trump to save our beloved land from the I mean, there's some pretty racist overtones, undertones there, but or in some cases, not even undertones, just straight up racism. Uh, but but also a lot of just nationalism. And, and you know, we're going to protect our country from these people other Americans who disagree with us. And then on the other side, you have people saying, you know, we're going to stop all of these right wingers. We're going to stop this. Uh, You know, we're going to create a fairer society by appealing to the government that put us in this situation. And so they target their hatred on the on the oddest things, Uh, you know, Aunt Aunt Jemima on a bottle. Um, Now, let me say this. I know the history of, of I've, I've read up on the history of Aunt Jemima. I see why it would be offensive. I have no problem with the fact that I think Quaker Oats, who, who owns the brand, uh, the Quaker brand or whatever, decided not to have it anymore. But that's not going to change anything. Um, the the Confederate statues and the and the statues of slave owners and, and you know, co- colonialists and all of that. I can get if I, you know, you know, being Jewish, is that similar to a, a statue of Hitler? Yeah, I guess I guess if you are, you know, someone who is from a people who were harmed and oppressed and marginalized by those people, it's similar. And I probably wouldn't like that statue anyway. And I, for that reason, I'm not terribly upset if it goes away. I'm not really a big fan of of, you know, government uh, taxing people to pay for upkeep of statues anyway. But but again, that won't change it. We can tear down all of those statues. Uh, and whether that in and of itself is a good thing or bad thing. 
it's not going to change anything. If police are still not being held accountable, if uh, government officials are not being held accountable, if we are not uh, defunding, federally defunding the militarization of the police force, if we're not ending the war on drugs and, and we're not ending the sending of millions of Americans every year to prison for victimless commerce and using them for free prison labor and then you know disenfranchising them from being able to vote or own a weapon uh, and, and unless they have tens of thousands of dollars to or even hundreds of thousands to have their records expunged. That's what matters. That's the immediate harm that's being done. It's not to say that you can't be against a Confederate statue. That Confederate statue isn't what's actually oppressing you. It is the Republicans and Democrats who are oppressing you. And if they keep distracting you with this stuff, even if those things are important, if they're distracting you from what is really happening, then that's the problem. Uh, and that's where libertarians have to come in. Uh, and that's why Joe Jorgensen and I are fighting every single day to, uh, you know, to set America free, to remove, to end the wars, to bring the troops home, to end the war on drugs, to get government out of healthcare and education and put the power back in your hands so that costs can go down and access can go up and you can have more say in your future so that you can, you know, thrive and live a better and happier and healthier life. Basically, I always get to this, but basically you got... This isn't just a, you know, a vote for this campaign and these, you know, four thing, these four key things change or whatever. It's a whole systemic change. It's a holistic change to every single aspect. There's no when people I always have a hard time when people say, what are your top three subjects? And I'm like, and so I'll pick, you know, the top <laughs> three. But it's yeah. like, you know, I mean, all because of, we haven't even got I mean, and we don't have time to, but we haven't even gotten into the Fed, how this all feeds into the Fed, you know, endlessly funding all of this at our expense, uh, both in terms of, uh, you know, constant debt being run up uh, that the Fed is, you know, bar getting treasury bonds from the government. And also in the fact that they're constantly reducing the value of our currency by printing out an endless new money. I mean, it, it all feeds into each other. And so you can't really say, well, we just need to fix healthcare and we need to fix education and we need to fix uh, the war on uh, police accountability. And, and that, that'll be it. It's a whole holistic thing. It all feeds into a system that has been in the making for, you know, well over 150 years. Uh, it's going to take a full dismantling and a full reformation of how things are being done in a way that will have immediate, profound benefit to the average American. And the only people that will suffer, for lack of a better term, is the extremely well-heeled, wealthy people who, you know, they'll still be billionaires. They just won't, you know, get to continue becoming richer and richer and richer and owning more and more and more of the overall wealth in this country at everyone else's expense. They'll have to actually, like, you know, just stay, you know, the billionaires they are right now. And and that that's the that's the harm that will be done is that you know some of these billionaires won't be able to become even richer, uh, and and the rest of us will directly benefit. And not through some kind of wealth redistribution, but by simply removing the barriers that they put in place that are preventing us from being able to thrive. Absolutely. Uh, you are right on time. We got to start getting <laughs> ready to wrap it up. Um, mm -hmm. So is there any is there any subject, anything that you wanted to add in here that we have not discussed? And then you can go into where they can find you, Joe Jorgensen's campaign, and how they can help out you guys as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm someone who could spend another several hours uh, talking about uh, every other thing that needs to be done. But the bottom line is that Joe Jorgensen and I are fighting to set America free, uh, and with your help and support, that's exactly what we will do. So if you don't, if you like what you heard and you want to hear more and you'd like to join our team, I invite you to go to JoeJ2020.com. That's J-O-J-2020.com. Uh, fill out our volunteer form. Uh, you can become a volunteer and join our team. Uh, we have a contribution button. If you're able to make a donation, there's a big donate button at the top. We'd appreciate anything that you can give. Uh, you can follow us on social media. If you look for Spike Cohen or Joe Jorgensen on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, 
uh, YouTube. I'm on TikTok. Uh, if you look for us, you'll be able to find us. I invite you to follow us there and share any content that you that really speaks to you. Um, let your friends and family and colleagues and, and, and loved ones know uh, why you're a libertarian, why you support our ticket, why you support uh, libertarianism, why you think it's the best way forward. And, you know, with, with your help and your support and your vote this November, we will begin the, the process of, of undoing the harm that's been done by the Republicrats and replacing it with the healing that will come from common sense libertarian solutions. And Fritz, I thank you for your time. Spike, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for presenting your message. Absolutely. Thank you.